John Cena in the house. Everybody take notice. No, 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 no. I've seen you rap before, Cena. It doesn't impress me. Not one bit. This whole freestyle rapping thing. It's not even that hard. You got Whatever. I could do that. I could. In fact, I could beat you at a rap competition any day of the week. Any day. All right, homie. Show me some street cred. Show me what you got. That's cool. Right now. You said you can freestyle. Hit, hit a little something. Do, do what you gotta do. Taco, give me a beat. All right, forget it. It goes a little something like this. My name is Christian, the king of crunk. I'm taking you to school, Cena, and you're gonna flunk. I'm Captain Charisma. I'm... I'm Captain Charisma. Read him in weeps. I'm gonna throw you out for all my peeps. Let me tell you something. 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 Well, let me tell you something. 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 Let me tell you something, man. Grapple fans, and welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something. We're not discussing a five-star match or a match of the week. We're going to do a traditional, old-school, let-me-tell-you-something topic discussion. And by we, I mean your co-host Lorcan Mullen. And with me, as always, is the conquistador uno to my conquistador dos. The Sexton Hardcastle to my Christian Cage. The Paul Smackage to my flip sunsets, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing today, mate? I'm doing good. Uh, this is a little bit awkward. All my notes are about uh, Sting and Let's Luger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've no idea what you're talking about. Nothing ever happened involving Sting, Lex Luger, and the Steiner Brothers. This is a made-up <laughs> fantasy. It never has nor ever will happen or be discussed. I'm being gaslit. <laughs> anyway, on the subject of lesser partners, we've decided <laughs> that we're going to we've decided that we're going to do one of our occasional wrestler reviews. I guess you could call it a discussion of the work, the career, the standing, the legacy, the entirety of one particular person involved in the wrestling industry. In the past, we've discussed such. Uh, people as The Miz, as Kane, a long-time favourite of the show, and also Michael Cole, who is a man with a WrestleMania record of some (laughs) distinction, actually. He's undefeated. Yeah, The Undertaker can't say that anymore. I was going to say, he is literally better than The Undertaker. (laughs) So what are we talking about today, Simon? Uh, We are talking about... Who are we talking about today, Simon? Christian. Christian. At last... He's on his own episode. That was one of the things that we always wanted to do. I think it's a lot more fun to discuss the people that are around the top of the pile, more so than it is the people who are the top of the pile. 
because they will have exhaustive column inches written about them. Whereas this one, it's it's Christian. <laughs> Obviously, one of the things that triggered this was the fact that Christian did make an unexpected comeback at the Royal Rumble a few weeks ago. Looking in shape, might I add. Yeah, looking pretty much no different to what he'd looked like when he finished with the WWE around 2014, 2013 time, I think it was. I'd argue slightly better. Well, that's one of the things that we'll have to talk about, Christian. Uh, he's always been a very slim man anyway. I think he's one of those people that does, struggles to put on the pounds anyway. Yeah. it like... Bastard. It'd look... His frame would look weird if it was like, you know, Batista six-pack, not six-pack, Batista like trapezoids and what have you. Well, I, I shared with you a photo of Brock Lesnar in 2003, and oh. it's kind of hard to believe a human being could actually look like that and not just be a drawn character in a Marvel comic. We've talked about this. I don't think Brock is human. I think there's something going on there. You're saying he's an X-Man? He's a, he's a new mutation in the human... I'm saying there are some humans that just, if they were a D&D character, he rolled like nats, uh, natural 20s on, you know. Yeah, and if you to roll the genetic dice on Christian, on Jay Riso, I would say in general maybe he's landed a 6 or a 7. He's over 6 foot tall. He's lean. He's relatively good looking. I think he was much better looking when he got his hair cut. I will say that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, long-haired Christian is nothing compared to short-haired Christian. What he was part of is a, a generation of wrestlers that I suppose were maybe the first Gen X wrestlers to really get through. I would put Triple H and, and other ones like that. I suppose they're kind of late boomers. Well, no, to be fair, I think Triple H is Gen X, but it's that latter step half of Generation X. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Triple H is Generation X, kind of, in... Well, he's more... To be. You <laughs> could say he's D-Generation X. That was the joke of work. <laughs> <laughs> but you get where I'm coming from. He's part of that generation, along with Jeff Hardy, Matt Hardy, Chris Jericho, Edge... Uh, I would put CM Punk, actually, along those lines, even though he's a little bit later, in that they are the ones that grew up fans of the WWF. Yes, yeah. That grew up on a product produced by Vince McMahon, and less so the territory systems, and also were more pop culture savvy, and had a sense of humour that leaned more towards the goofy, irreverent side that we then saw in their... Edge and Christian characters in 2000 and 2001. Mm. When Christian debuted, I don't know if you even know this, he won a championship on the first night that he wrestled. Yes, he beat Taka Michinoku, didn't he? Yes, ending a near year-long reign as the light heavyweight champion, but falling to a man in Gilberg a few months after. But really, no one really wants to dwell in the light heavyweight division anyway at that point. No. But what was funny as well about looking back at the brood period is that when you say something positive about the Vince Russo era of booking or the Vince Russo influenced era of booking, let's not put it all on him. The positive was that everyone had something to do. When you're now going through cycles of people just being in matches, and that's a a problem not just in WWE, although WWE are very bad for it now, 
is a problem in AEW. It's a problem in New Japan. If you're not in the top storyline or fighting for a championship, very often they do not know what to do with you other than to plug you into matches. And very often, because you're not doing anything important, you're the one that can take the fall and not be hurt. And it's not hurting the people that are the focus of attention. Mm. And so the Brood, actually, after they got united together, because it started off as Edge being at odds with that Gangrel and Christian, his estranged brother, siding with Gangrel over Edge. I do like when Christian turns up, uh, that like shocked look on Edge's face. That's like sort of seared into yeah. my brain. Yeah, I remember that too. I had no idea. I, I wasn't on the internet at this point, so I wasn't aware of their histories as Sexton Hardcastle and Christian Cage and their work on the indie scene with Rhino and Joey Legend and figures like that. Mm. The the first ones that didn't have a territory system to rely on to go up in. Jericho sort of got to experience that by going around to Mexico, Japan, Smoky Mountain and, and everything else. But again, he's a couple of years older than Edge and Christian as well, so that allowed that so he just got in at the early stages by the time Edge and Christian Not much older though. So it's like less than ten years. You know, nine years is a significant gap. So I think it's like four or five, maybe. But again, you'll assume they have sort of similar pop culture references. Obviously, they're all heavy metal enthusiasts. Although I don't know if Christian is as much as Edge and Jericho. Yeah, back to the Brood. They didn't really have much in the way of storylines once they got united together. They were just a cool mid-card act. They had a badass entrance. They had a great theme music. They had a cool look. The sort of Lost Boys inspired feel to them. And what's so funny about that was that Christian was this quiet, like literally wouldn't say anything for basically the first year that he was in the promotion. Afterwards, you realise him and Edge are so good at talking once they figure out what their voices are. When yeah. they get past the sort of gothic brood, literally brooding characters and got to be more themselves, smart mouths. That was when they got into their comfort zone and became great talkers from then on, really. Mm. But what do you think of the Brood era, Christian? Well, I was, I was just going to say, like, that's where you, like, their chemistry came to light, obviously, that you'd only get from growing up with each other like they did. I think it, for Brood era Christian, it, it, it was kind of just there. It was like a means to an end to get him in. Like, that, that, that's the slot he's in. And he's got long hair... He looks. He looks like Edge was. You know, he had the similar sort of look as Edge. Obviously, well, the they time. they were believable brothers. Yeah, they were believable as brothers. I thought they were brothers when I was when I was first watching it. Yeah, and I think what's interesting looking back at it is that Christian is there as as the third wheel in it. Mm. But when they finally put it behind Edge and Christian, I do wonder as well that Christian essentially got the role. Through a form of nepotism in a way, because it's obvious that the one that they wanted was Edge. Yeah. And Edge was the one that encouraged them to bring Christian in. And I've always wondered if that stigma was in Vince's head all the time that he was a favour hiring. 
that he wasn't the one that they were actively pursuing. He wasn't the one that got months of before he debuted video packages like Edge was getting in the same vein at the time that guys like Val Venus were also getting. He came in as a surprise. He was a supporting player. You know, within a couple of... Whilst they gave him the belt on his first night, they also had him lose to Gilbert very quickly afterwards. So he was not always one that they felt they needed to protect. Yeah, although the light heavyweight title was kind of a prop, really. It wasn't like a proper title. Sorry, Taka. Yeah, he was very much the expansion pack. Like, he was bolted on to the story, you're quite right. And that does have... I can see how the conclusion of Vince going, well, I've had to bring him in. But, all right, you know, it's... He's he's involved in your stuff, so if it doesn't work, it's on you. Well, I believe that Edge on several occasions had to fight to keep the team together. That they wanted Edge to go off solo in 99 and, and 2000, and he was like... No, I want to stay with Christian. I think we've got something here. And what's so funny when you look at that, they're so well known for their partnership. But if we define it as Edge and Christian and not the brood, where they usually be in six mans, where it's actually Edge and Christian, their partnership really only exists from around summer of 99 to summer of 2001. So the Edge and Christian run is two years tops. And the Edge and Christian run as tag team champions is barely over a year. They win it seven times within that year. Yeah. WrestleMania 2000, it's the first time they win the tag titles. And when they win in TLC2 at WrestleMania 17, that was their seventh and final run with the belts. That kind of points to the depth they had at the time in the division as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was insane. If that Edge and Christian were in today's tag era, they'd be doing New Day record reign numbers. Maybe, maybe. If Vince hadn't like, gone on one of his like random things and started splitting up tag teams like he does. Also, to be fair as well to them, their first two title reigns went from WrestleMania through to September. So that was basically six months with a two or three week interim period where Too Cool got the belts thanks to the interference of Joe C. The funny thing with Christian was that he was basically having to hold on at this point. I mean, I remember back in those days, I had a CD of WWF entrance music and Christian was one of the tracks. So even when he was part of Edge and Christian, he did have a solo entrance track that you rarely heard because when Christian had a singles match, it would have probably been on Sunday Night Heat or Metal. You can hear it at the 2000 Royal Rumble where he's one of the ones that's just dead weight for Rikishi in the early passages of that match. Yeah, on that Rikishi point, I, I was just going to say Edge would be like harder to throw into that in like maybe in their minds at the time because A, yeah. Edge is the guy and B, Christian's sort of like slight comparative slightness obviously would make Rikishi look massive as well. That is the funny thing about Edge, Christian and the Hardy Boys. They're the small guys, but they were all over six foot tall. I remember when I saw Matt Hardy wrestle Homicide in Ring of Honor, it's like, oh my god, he's enormous compared to Homicide. Wrestlers are, they're handicapped by having to hang out with other wrestlers in terms of how like imposing they look. I once saw Baron Corbin in the flesh and I was terrified. <laughs> he came into the restaurant I was in um, and he just, his presence literally filled up the room. Now, granted, Baron's six, what, close to six and a half feet? I think he's taller than that. I know what you mean. And again, another thing that could go against Christian was he doesn't necessarily have that immediate presence, at least at that point. What makes Christian intriguing is that he was able to hold on afterwards. The funny thing about Christian is that he's so often 
defined as a lesser. He's a lesser partner to Edge in their partnership. When he's teaming with Chris Jericho, he's really a lesser part to Chris Jericho. He's the lesser tag team partner there. When he's in the Un-Americans, they're just sort of all banded together, but they're just there for a purpose. But he could always make something out of it. Oh, yeah. He never got the faith in the push until it was kind of forced upon them. But I think if you look at his Chris, his, his singles run, starting from his turn on Edge, mm. immediately the storyline is that he's the jealous lesser partner that has to cheat. And he's Edge... jealous of Edge's King of the Ring like trophy as well, isn't he? Yeah, he fails at the semi-finals, but Edge is able to win it, and and it takes great humility as a performer to be willing to present yourself like that. Because, like I said, when we talk about wrestlers now, it's so often about having to make yourself look good, look cool. Christian very often will not be the cool one in the situation. After his feud with Edge runs out, one of the first gimmicks they give him afterwards, and it's probably the biggest, like, wrestle crap thing that Christian's really had to deal with, was the crybaby gimmick where he'd throw a temper tantrum in the match. Oh, and, like, DDP was, like, his weird mentor his for a bit. motivational speaker, yes. Yeah. And they feuded over the European title. Oh, I that's one of the matches I, I I had set into my brain a lot. I think it's WrestleMania 18. They have a brief, very brief throwaway match, uh, which DDP wins. And afterwards, it's like, oh, you know, it's still a good thing because you didn't lose your temper. And then he starts having like a proper ten- temper tantrum in the ring. But also remember, he then has a show long angle where he wins the Hardcore Championship backstage. <laughs> Oh, oh yes, I forgot that. But he absolutely one of the best hits ever is when he throws that steel door into Molly Holly's face, just like absolutely clatters her. So that was when you realise that they see Christian as a good hand, that he is someone that can be put in the mid card and make anyone look good, really. But he's also a useful tool. So he becomes like Chris Jericho's supporting player. They win the tag titles together after he does the Un-Americans run, which is, again, we're just we we going to do this faction to work with the anti-American sentiments that George Bush has caused because he was bad at his job. And, <laughs> um. and they just grab us a Canadian. And what's also funny is I remember the story being that they were told they were asked to cut their hair. They asked Christian to cut his hair so it'd be down the Lance Storm mold and, and making them all look more serious. And I think that's one of the few times in wrestling history it's like you need to look more like Lance Storm. Wrestle, yeah, that that will probably have come up a fair bit. Look, nah. <laughs> So he can be slotting anything. He win, wins the tag titles with Lance Storm, beating Edge and Hulk Hogan. Which is weird, because obviously Edge is also Canadian. <laughs> mm. Then he goes with Chris Jericho, and he also sort of becomes Chris Jericho's lackey when he needs to be. Like, he causes a distraction in the Royal Rumble for Chris to allow him to eliminate Shawn Michaels at the start of the Rumble. And he's in the tag team with him where they, when they were feuding with Booker T and Goldust. But then I think one of the key moments for him was winning the Intercontinental title and it not be related to Edge. Yes. When they reinstated it after the, what, seven or eight months that it was deactivated, where Eric Bischoff was absorbing all the titles together. It was absorbed into the World Heavyweight title. And then they brought it back. And the whole story was that it was so that Booker T could win it. 
And so they introduced a battle royal that would only be made up of ex-intercontinental champions. The problem was that they'd forgotten that Booker T had never won it. <laughs> they had to find a way to bring him back in. That's how the story goes. I don't know that I fully believe that. Uh, oh, I'm torn. If it was today, I'd buy, I'd buy that hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Back then, yeah. there's, there's an element of doubt. But then they do the surprising thing and have Christian win it. And that, then it's about the chase for Booker T. And then Christian comes out the next night with the new look. He's had the haircut, and that was a fantastic move for him because immediately it stops you looking at the edge element to it. Yeah, it's like the final vestiges, really, of the edge and Christian Christian look, which I never got as a like. I guess it's just because it looks naff. It makes the heel look a bit stupid. I don't know if that was the intention. What was that? The vest thing? Yeah. I'll be honest. I think it's because that was a time of ridiculously overinflated physiques and Christian never looked. Christian had the height, but he never had the bulk. Yeah. And I think, again, that's another thing that held him back. Whilst Edge never really had the bulk either. Although he tried his best in that mid-2000s era where everyone was taking their vitamins. <laughs> um, yeah. they, were both, they were both born with very lean, thin physiques. Yeah. And Edge could make up for that because he was so much taller. Like, he is six foot four, I think. Mm. Whereas Christian, I think, is six foot one, somewhere around there. Uh, and like I said, the weird thing was, back even back then, Christian at six foot one was, in theory, one of the smaller guys. I mean, it's taller than Chris Jericho, that helps. Yeah. That was the start where it was start of Christian building his own personality. And, like, that was also around the time of CLB, I think. Creepy little bastard. Oh, yes, yes. That started around... Was it around Wrestle... Oh, I can't remember. Is it WrestleMania 20 or 21? I could have sworn they were saying it at the 2003 Survivor Series where it's Christian, Jericho, and Randy Orton against Shawn Michaels. I might be wrong, though. Because I also remember that John Cena used it when he did his diss track to him, and that was in 2005. So, but to be fair, that could have been a callback. A couple of things I rewatched after we agreed of doing an episode about Christian and actually recording it. And one of the things I watched was his tag match with Chris Jericho against Trish Stratus and Lita. This is the thing about Christian. He is a fantastic worker. Not just a wrestler, a worker. He does what needs to be done to get a match or a storyline or a character over, whether it's him that's having to get over or the person that he's working with that has to get over. At times, that can be abused, I think, because like Edge, like the Hardy Boys, to a lesser extent like the Dudley Boys, because they came up through those stunt matches with all the weaponry, the tables, the ladders and the chairs, there's always that sense of we can slot this guy into a ladder match or a tables match. Or, or anything like that, and they're going to come up with something good and innovative and get the audience interested. And the audience always knows a match involving these guys, involving a ladder, is probably going to be something worth watching. It dilutes it incredibly, because what was so fantastic about that run with the Hardys, the Dudleys, and Edge and Christian was that it was spaced out. It was basically five key matches in that feud. They had matches in, in the interim, which were just traditional tag matches, which were also very good. I remember them having a good one with the Dudley boys at the 2001 Royal Rumble that was built around, instead of all the things that you're working on as far as a, a, an injury, it was it was head injuries that they were both heavily concussed, which is obviously now a much more dicey thing to do but at the time it was innovative it wasn't them just going after a knee or an arm or a neck it was them going after their heads with the concerto obviously as the thing that you can pay off too so you got the the ladder match at no mercy 1999 between edge and christian and the hardy boys and that was really the coming out party for both those teams 
And then you had the tables match between the Hardys and Dudleys at 2000 Royal Rumble. And then you had the three ladder matches, tables, ladders, and chairs matches, WrestleMania 16, SummerSlam, WrestleMania 17. And the thing that always jarred me about those were that Edge and Christian were booked to win each of them. It made them look like a really strong team. Yeah. But I always thought it should have been, and in a way it's obvious booking, but I think it's the right one that it should have been. Edge and Christian win the first one. The second one was in North Carolina, so the Hardy Boys should have won that one. And then the Dudley Boys should have won the last one. But I think it was always that sense of one day Edge is going to be something for certain out of these six. So we're going to give it to them. I just felt very deflating, especially WrestleMania 17 felt really deflating. that they gave it to Edge and Christian again. I mean, I wasn't watching at the time. Like, I wasn't watching week to week at the time. I've only watched those matches in retrospect. So from my point of view, it's like, I don't have that feeling towards it. I just feel like they were both really fun, wacky matches. Especially the X7. Like, that's the one with all the run-ins, isn't it? 17. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't yeah. like that either. I don't, I don't have as much love for TLC2 as a lot of other people have. But we discussed that in the um, as one of the bonus non-five-star matches. So I've made my feelings clear it's still incredible and one of the things i wanted to say about that also i remember when they discussed it i think i had a i think i had a tlc vhs or dvd or something that came out about those teams and it was always said i think it's on ladder match one because i had that dvd i think no it's a separate thing it was this thing unique to them it was like a 60 minute vhs i had one for chris jericho as well and what was interesting was that they always said that of those three teams Bubba was always sort of the captain of the Dudleys. Matt Hardy was the captain of the Hardys, but Edge and Christian came as a package that they were, that they were, yeah. And I think it's pretty obvious that they both, you just got to listen to the podcast when they were doing it, that they both had sharp minds for it. And I think that carried through into the characters of Edge and Christian, because whilst the Dudley boys were the big bruising tag team and the Hardy boys were the daredevils, Edge and Christian were always the ones that were thinking and trying to find a way through. The Edge becomes Edge becomes the ultimate opportunist, but Christian also throughout his run as a heel is always he never wins a fight through fair and square means. If he's going to beat you, he's going to have to use his craftiness to do it. Even when he was a babyface, he would have to outthink an opponent like an Ezekiel Jackson or or when he had that match with William Regal which was just he noticed William Regal was taking off his robe so he just unprettied him as the bell rang like when you talk about the co-captain thing like if you look at the tag team the other tag teams in that conversation and like the comparative success between each one Bubba obviously had his bully Ray phase Devon as a singles but I don't think Devon ever had that ambition to be fair yeah. to him Matt and Jeff's a weird one because they were both successful in their own ways but if you look at creatively Matt far out does Jeff and obviously Matt made himself relevant long after people thought he would be I think yes but Jeff reached the summits that Matt never did and Jeff had a consistent fan base throughout it all that Matt never had. Jeff was always seen as the star of that team, I think. Look, Jeff's the one that's won the WWE Championship and the World Heavyweight Championship, whereas Matt Hardy has a couple of TNA Championship runs back when they were on Pop TV and the ECW titles. Matt will be a factor, and obviously he changed it all, but he changed it all in a mid-card world. He changed the expansiveness of wrestling and the cinematic elements. So he's artistically influential, 
but he's not box office compared to what Jeff Hardy was. Which you can say the same with Christian. I mean, when I rewatch it now, you could argue that Christian is either as good a worker or maybe a little bit better a worker than Edge because everything that Edge is attached to has the help of all the big spectacles and they put everything into it. There's the Gaga and the operatics. And we'll talk about it more later, but if you take something like Christian's feud with Randy Orton... That artistically is more perfect than maybe anything Edge did as a singles wrestler. Admittedly, Edge is there in the main event, so that means you're dealing with Vince McMahon bollocks as well. And Edge had his great runs as well with Rated RKO and his run with Randy Orton in the past year or so. And I'm not even... Look, if, if it's a difference, it's a difference of like half of Bret Hart's rating system. And I wouldn't even necessarily stand by that, that I think Christian's better than Edge. I think they're about as good as each other and then it's just a case of personal preferences as to what you like more but like i said christian has to work with what he's given when he comes back to the wwe they slot him in ecw mm. where he's an even bigger fish in a smaller pond than he was in tna you know when like the kid run, runs away from home in quote marks and then comes back and like the parent has to like go oh you know punish you and stuff like that uh, i think that 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 that's what was happening with the um putting christian into ecw thing maybe an element of oh it's someone fans know the name of whack him in there since he's coming in cold so we don't we haven't written anything for him again the story goes that he was supposed to be the one that had been attacking jeff hardy in the build-up to his match with edge for the wwe championship that he'd won and that when vince found out that everyone knew that it was going to be christian they made the call and switched it to matt hardy again I don't know how much weight you can put behind it. I can believe both sides. And then he comes out for ECW. I think the thing that made it all so sad as well is the infamous Todd Grisham call of it's it's Christian. Ugh. We kind of jumped ahead of ourselves, I suppose, there. Because that run with Lita and, and Trish Stratus was... I mean, we've already done an episode about wrestling and romance and how I think it's something that should be actually featured more in wrestling storylines. I think it's such an easily relatable, understandable thing. The problem with that is they always seem to do a cack-handed job of it. <laughs> well, I don't think they did with the lead to Chris, Jericho, Christian and, and Trish one. That was... We've seen behaviour like that. That's relatable. Like, the weird cuckold era we, we just had... No, we don't need that. Yeah. I mean, I would, I've, I've been saying that maybe the greatest storyline in wrestling history is Tetsuya Naito's rise to the double championship. But if you were to say, what are some other ones that you put in there? The Randy Savage, Miss Elizabeth love story from start to finish in WWF is one of the other ones that I would put in there as well. So that's why I think romance... I mean, Chris Jericho and Christian against Trish and Lee doesn't hit that height. But that was one of the matches I watched. And what was so brilliant about that, like Christian the Worker, is that that match can't... They're not trying to have a five-star classic or anything like that because you can't realistically, with the with the dynamics, even though Lita and Trish are great wrestlers, the way that they present it is that they're obviously physically not able to match up to Jericho and Christian. And because those two are so often the smaller wrestlers, they get to have a bit of fun with the bullying. And the great thing that Jericho is morally conflicted Whereas Christian's just a creepy little bastard. Like when Jericho wrestling Trish at the start, it's like him trying... I mean, he does spank her, so it is that sense of he's still got something to learn, but he's not trying to hit her. He's not trying to hurt her. Then he tags Christian in, and Christian just hard shoves her into the corner, and the crowd reacts. 
and so that's one of the things I think is the great an example of why Christian's a great worker in the traditional sense of the guys that used to run the territories. That when he has to be the face, he knows exactly what he has to do to get the face sympathy. And when he has to be the heel, he knows exactly how to be the bullying heel, the cowardly heel. But he's never had to be the tough guy heel like Steve Austin. But he's definitely done the chat shit and tried to back it up heel, which was when he was at his hottest, which was when John Cena was on SmackDown and he was on Raw. And after they bumped into each other at the Royal Rumble... Christian then spent the next six months Conor McGregor-esque chatting shit about John Cena whenever he got an opportunity. That's one of the things I always love in wrestling, where there's a heel chatting shit about a face, and the face is not yet reacting, and you're waiting for it to happen. Whether it's Taz calling out Sabu for a year in ECW after he turns heel, or it's The Miz calling out John Cena when he's trying to make a name for himself for the first time as a singles guy after him and John Morrison get sent to different rosters. Or it's Becky Lynch just saying whatever she wants about anyone, but particularly Ronda Rousey. Oh, that was a golden period. I've always also loved that smaller wrestler with the big bodyguard. I mean, the template of it was obviously Shawn Michaels with Diesel. But I think Christian with Tomko was one of the better ones. Especially that brilliant moment when they're meeting up with John Cena. He's like, I can rap. Hey, Tomko, give me a beat. No. <laughs> It was a wonderful, like, power dynamic moment. Mm. <laughs> Just, I'm going like, I'll help you, but I'm not doing that. One of my favourite moments of the whole Tomko thing is at WrestleMania 21, where Christian's got his period of climbing the ladder in the Money in the Bank match. Again, another example of just, we'll throw Edge and Christian into a ladder match. To the point that Edge didn't actually want to be in that match. He was kind of insulted by it. Did that change when, like, you know, he was told he was going to win the blade? I think that probably helped matters. Christian, like I said, he's one of those guys that's a trusted good hand at that point, in the same way that Kane was, in the same way now someone like Sheamus is, or Kofi Kingston is. We need a sixth guy for the Elimination Chamber. Let's get Christian. Let's get Sheamus. Let's get Kofi Kingston. Let's get R-Truth. Let's get The Miz. Someone that they know can do the promo that they need, and can be convincing enough that they can have some good moments in the match. Doesn't hurt anyone to get pinned by them necessarily. Doesn't hurt them by getting pinned. And so that's why our, Christian, I think, was always relatively well treated by the WWE, in all honesty. After the crybaby gimmick with Diamond Dallas Page died. That was really, like I said, that was the last sort of wrestle crap he had to deal with. Well, it depends how you look at it with the ECW thing. Is it an insult, but is it also a sign of we need a guy to be the leader for this third brand? Oh, I was going to say, he's a name. Let's let's chuck a name in. We need you to have a good match with this guy, Jack Swagger, we think, has got something. Do that. And you can beat them and it looks good. We need you to have a good match with this Ezekiel Jackson guy. We need you to have a 13-minute ladder match with Shelton Benjamin on TLC. Yeah. You, you say... The Crybaby was his last wrestle crap thing. TNA had some of its weird creative. The whole thing with like him blackmailing Abyss for a while was... I remember that. That stuck in my mind as weird. Well, I don't have much memory of Christian's run in TNA outside of him showing up for the first time. Because, like I said, after that run where he's calling out John Cena, he is as hot as he ever was in the WWE there was a sense of this guy could be about to make that next step up to the world title picture. When Chris, when John Cena comes out 
as the first raw draft pick in the lottery. He says, you want some, come get some. The first person that comes out immediately after that is Christian. And they do set it up as a John Cena Christian thing, but Jericho's inserted into it as well. Uh, So Christian never gets his one-on-one match. They have a triple threat at Vengeance, which is being undermined by the Hell in a Cell main event that was also going on on Raw at the same time. Because it was also that thing on SmackDown not having a champion until the final day of the draft a month down the line when Batista was Oh, God, yes. It was Triple H, Batista in the cell. Yes. But you know who also moved over that day to SmackDown was Christian. And you thought, oh, is this going to be Christian's time now? And it was like, because he spent the whole time saying, take me to SmackDown, because that's where John Cena is, and I want to beat John Cena. Which was such an interesting way. It was so rare to see. I always thought they did the brand split pretty well for the first few years, after a while of teething problems. By late 2002, you're already talking about the SmackDown 6. So the sense of two separate brands with different identities was already there. And so Christian then goes to SmackDown, Gets a couple of wins, but is the last one eliminated by JBL for the SmackDown Championship that Teddy Long's carrying around in a bag, but fortunately never has to reveal because Batista... (laughs) There was never anything in that bag. (laughs) But that excitement of Christian coming to SmackDown and thinking maybe he's going to be a top star on SmackDown almost immediately undermined because 30 minutes after his debut, Batista comes out and that's what the talk of it is. And then he's drop back into the mid card with Booker T and then two or three months after that he's gone and he goes to TNA because it's that sense of I'm not going to make it in the main event of the WWE so if I go to TNA I'm the top guy immediately it's the first time you've got a we've got the hottest free agent coming in because that year was the year that Team 3D also moved over to TNA as well and it was the first time Jeff Hardy went because he was a drug addict that got fired from the WWE for his misbehaviour So this was the first one that someone, through choice, was leaving the WWE for the potential of what TNA had to offer. In a move similar to John Moxley leaving WWE for AEW or Chris Jericho leaving WWE for New Japan and and the potential of AEW. And Christian, I think you can make the case, was the first person to really do that post-WCW. To go, maybe the grass will be greener at TNA. And during pretty much that entire TNA run, he's in the main event challenging and winning the world title. It's just a lot of nothing, really. There's nothing memorable when I was reading through it. There is next to nothing memorable as far as storylines go. It's just identikit, turn him heel to help Jarrett win the title or and, and turn heel on Sting, turn face six months later, turn heel six months later, be a leader of faction. It was one of those things, I think, where they were like, we've got him. Cool. What are we going to do? And so the story goes on the day his contract was due to expire, they handed him a renewal in WWE. And he said, it, I think in the Power Slam interview, he didn't want to like sign it without his lawyer there. So obviously the contract then expires. And... I think maybe at that point it was like, well, let's see what's out there. He gets to TNA. He wins the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. He's having a good time. A year later, he's, he's usurped as like a guy who's jumped ship by Kurt Angle, which is problematic in itself for Christian. I don't want to say it's like uh, Andy in Toy Story. I don't want to play with you anymore, but it's Kurt Angle, you know? Yeah. I, as much as I love Christian, Kurt Angle's better than Christian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as a 
biggest start than because you obviously you were talking about although you mentioned the choice element christian went by choice Kurt didn't really go by choice because they were like, well, you're too broken down for us to touch. It was more along the Jeff Hardy line. Yeah. Although Kurt was minting TNA for a, for a bit and then he wasn't. That's the thing. TNA at that time had talent for days. They could not figure out what to do with it. A lot of that roster is now the WWE and they're all in their late 30s, early 40s. Yeah. But this was when they were all pretty much at their physical prime and they had nothing inventive i think sometimes tna gets overly criticized i don't think it was i mean it's, there's not a lot in it that's much dumber than what's going on now but it was just always treading water the worst of it was the hogan bischoff run but that also had moments with the aces and eights that worked it had moments with the main event mafia that worked but it was always like wwe lights and it never appealed to me because it was never different enough it was just and i guess christian was the first example of What's Christian Cage doing in the impact zone? And that was one of the things I did watch. I did watch him coming out and they said, Christian Cage is here in the impact zone. The story I heard about Christian eventually leaving TNA was too often people would come up to him after he left WWE and it was in TNA asking why he'd left wrestling or was he still wrestling? That it just never had that pop cultural access points that frankly AEW has more of now than maybe TNA almost ever had. I don't think Christian's stock diminished through any of his time with TNA. When he came back to WWE, there was a lot of excitement, especially when it thought it was going to be a reunion of Edge and Christian. We haven't really done enough about his humour. Again, another thing why he was such a good hand, he could do the backstage comedy segments. I still think the Christian Edge Mick Foley stuff is probably the most consistently funny stuff WWE. Oh, where he's faking an illness and like Foley like goes over the stall of the toilet. Mick, don't come in here. I'm totally barfing. You're so like totally busted. <laughs> that was one of my... <laughs> hey, why does The Rock get his own dressing room and we don't? Hey guys, I'm a three-time WWF champion and I never got a dressing room. Yeah, but Mick, you never got changed. You just wrestled in your clothes. That's a fair point. <laughs> My, one of my favourite ones was Christian, I think it was just a Sunday Night Heat thing as well, where he said that he'd had an awesome dream, which Mick Foley pointed out was a Lionel Richie lyric, and he said that I was going to get double gold, I want a challenge for the light heavyweight title again, what's the weight limit for that, uh, 220, how much do you weigh, like 217, you're lying, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that when they borrow Kurt's chicken suit? Chicken suit, yes, that is the one with the chicken suit. Hey guys, my chicken up. suit. <laughs> <laughs> Goofy Kurt was meant. <laughs> well, that whole run, you know, and again, we've already said it, the, the Kurt, Edge, Christian combination without it ever being an out-and-out faction was one of those things. Was this around the same time they tried to play, like, Triple H's My Time for Triple H on Yes, the well, that was when we got the kazoo. You know, he managed to get the kazoo over. Although, again, another thing, I, I, when I was looking back at that, I was like, God. And then when he says, huh, relax, game malicious. And he says, hey, speaking of the game, let's play some games. And then they go out of shots. And there's a bit with Kurt, Triple H, and Steph. And then T Triple H storms off, and as he storms off, the camera pans across to reveal Edge and Christian, and Edge going, huh, scissors totally cuts paper, dude. And Christian <laughs> going, damn it! But I was thinking, even in that gag, Christian's the one that loses. Yeah. Even in that gag, he's the lesser. 
<laughs> can you imagine like they pitched it and Vince was like, "All right, you can do it, but only if Edge goes over." <laughs> <laughs> it's just not realistic, kid. You're not gonna outwit Edge. He's six foot four. That means his brain is at least a half an inch taller than yours. That's not how brains work. Damn it! I'll tell you how brains work. <laughs> Obviously, they wanted Edge. As, as we say, like Edge, the specimen, like they always had plans for Edge. Because Vince's humour is kind of not quite the same as the humour Edge and Christian were putting out, do you reckon he takes less stock in Edge and Christian's ability to do that? Than... I think I think at that point they're trusted. And I think I think also Brian Gewurz was a key part of that, I think. So I think maybe at that point Vince had trust in what he did and what he was about yeah i mean um the reason brian went to wrestlers court was a his fa- his uh alleged favoritism towards edge and christian they made their own book didn't they their own book cover saying how to get up well uh, uh, they were tried separately <laughs> uh, okay which which uh which caused brian to because basically edge and christian took it in stride and handled it well brian got caught cold uh cold cocked basically Brian uh, claims he was tipped off by Kurt Angle, actually, uh, that he was going to go. Um, but then, yeah, Brian did not do as well as Edge and Christian in that environment. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, well, he was a nerd. Yeah. Which I guess Edge and Christian were as well, but they had the coolness to back it up. Yeah. So let's get to maybe Christian's greatest thing that he did in his singles run. But that it started off from a place of such a typical why does Vince hate the things we love moment, which was him winning the world heavyweight title. Finally, his first one. If you ignore the NWA title run. So he's already is a world champion. Right. Little aside in that, Vince always has to get a job. So somewhere in the build-up to, or it's either in the build-up or just after, uh, Christian says a line on SmackDown, something along the lines of, until like a month or so ago, I never even held, touched a World Heavyweight title. And Power Slam printed that and then put underneath, former two-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Christian. You know what he means. You know what he... I, I thought that was a great touch, in all honesty. And I always liked that as well, the idea. Because I was never a huge fan of someone beating up the champ and then lifting up the belt as if they're, they're going to... I get why you do it, and it's a good way for heat. But I always liked the idea of the only person that really gets to touch that belt is the champion. And that it's an honour to hold it. Like how with the FA Cup, it's cursed to be like, to touch it beforehand. Like in some people's eyes. Yeah, exactly. So I always liked that element. And and like I said, Christian and Edge just have good brains. Christian has a great brain. I think if he wanted to, my guess is he was enough independently wealthy that he didn't have to. But he could have been a great agent, road agent, helping out, mapping out matches for other guys. How do you feel about Christian losing that belt five days later to Randy Orton? Well, two days later because it was taped. Because the internet really lost their shit over that. Do you think it was the wrong decision? I'll be honest, it hurt me a lot at the time. I was buzzing when Christian won that belt. And for it to, for two days later, it took like... Because I found out before SmackDown. Because my, my housemate at the time... So I was at uni at the time, actually. And my, I'd got my housemate into wrestling again. And he told me, and I was like, oh, for God's sakes, can't we have anything good? I, I did feel like that. It's like, just give him a chance. What it turned into. Yeah. I was wrong at the time. 
I loved what happened next. I think you can make a case that the Randy Orton Christian feud is one of the best feuds of the 2010s, and not just in the WWE. Obviously, you're going to put Tanahashi Okada above that on artistic grounds. But there are not many other things in the WWE that were as good as that from start to finish. It never was bad. And you're really lucky if that happens in WWE. You got the Shield against the Wyatts, but that was really that was a that was stopped before it should have reached its logical conclusion. Yeah, the Shield against Evolution. You have Daniel Bryan against the Authority, but how much of that was a fucking mess? With it just much like the current government just seems to have stuck the landing. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Uh, my head went Owens Jericho, but I don't know if that was just more a great turn rather than a great feud. But what's wonderful about it is you can so much see, and also you got to remember this was happening in the shadow of of the CM Punk pipe bomb promo era that was going on in the main show on Raw. So I think it's because they were so focused on that that they allowed this one to go a different path and maybe didn't have as much invested in it to fuck it up. So they could get it go a natural path. Obviously one of the things I think it was also a point of contention for a lot of online fans. Is it's someone they love. Christian. Who they think is undervalued. Losing it to someone who they see as overvalued in Randy Orton. Orton's a whole other. That's a whole other story for another day. But what is wonderful about that story as well. When I watched. Because I watched them all except for the final Steel Cage match that they had on Smackdown. But that was really an epilogue that was more there to just set up. Randy Orton for the Mark Henry thing and to pop a rating. What you have from the time that Randy Orton wins on that SmackDown through to the end is a character transition that is so perfectly paced. It's not Walter White, but it's not that far off as far as if you rate it against wrestling, where Christian is able to go from sympathetic to hated... And he is the star of that storyline. Whether he's holding the belt around for more than a couple of weeks at the start and towards the end of it is kind of irrelevant. He is what it's built around. He is the star of the show. And he is the one that goes on the emotional journey. Randy Orton's defined by what he always was, which is a guy who's naturally gifted, but has temper issues that will affect him at times. Mm. Isn't it weird... That perennial heel, like his best work as a heel. He is a natural heel, Randy Orton. How cheered was he by the end of that feud against Christian? That's that's mental. It's the one of the few times face Randy Orton's worked. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, when he goes ape shit and beats the crap out of him at Money in the Bank, the crowd is loving every minute of it. I mean, it helps it's Chicago. Money in the Bank 2011's got to go down as an all-timer show, really, for both, and because you also had this Christian... Randy Orton match. One a match where a disqualification perfectly fits the story that they're telling. Because you watch it. The first match they're having, it's an even face versus face match. And the story is that Randy Orton does come out victorious. And whilst it's unfair to Christian, there's enough shades of grey in it. Because they say, oh, Christian only won it the five nights ago in a ladder match. But they also point out, yeah, but Randy Orton also had a last man standing match that night against CM Punk. So he was pretty badly beaten up too and it was the fans that cheered randy orton over mark henry and the great carly which is brilliant manipulation of the crowd anyway but randy orton wins the belt but the the lingering shot is not randy orton with the championship it is christian realizing that everything he finally worked for for 17 years had been snatched away from him and that he keeps it up 
to try and be the good guy and to do it earnestly. And so he is the babyface going into the match that they have, the rematch they have at Over the Limits. And he perfectly plays the underdog babyface. And Randy Orton is like Bret Hart against the one, two, three kid or Diesel or someone like that. He's the face, but the one that is in the aggressive face role. And Christian is the is the underdog. He's the one that the crowd is supposed to cheer at that point. And then Christian can't win it fair and square, so then he becomes bitter. No, um, it's over the limit. Didn't Orton pin him with Christian's foot under the ropes as well? So Christian has like the whole. Ugh. No, that was that was the first heel one. That was the first one after he turned heel by attacking him as a referee, special guest referee. And then Randy Orton beats him, but his foot's under the rope. But he's not really conscious of it. He gets hit with an RKO. And then Randy Orton clocks him with the belt, which is what Christian had done to him. And that could have been a perfect final point for the storyline again. But they get, they keep they keep giving Christian enough that you can see his... You know, it's that whole thing, the Mick Foley thing. A bad guy has to feel like everything they do is justified. And every step of the way, Christian is justified in his own mind. But it's also a sign that he is ultimately... And like I said, this is a tough thing for a wrestler to have to portray. He is Randy Orton's inferior. He is not as good as Randy Orton. He is exceptionally good, and Randy Orton is taken almost to his limit, but he's not as good. And I think one of the things that's significant about that is the very next feud that Randy Orton has, he gets decimated by Mark Henry, because Mark Henry is so physically imposing. And I wonder how much of that maybe Randy Orton was able to take on board, and like, you can look good whilst making another guy look superior to yes, you. Yes, yeah. That's the whole start of the Hall of Pain uh, that, that's like that's Mark Henry, like oh, that's a hot Mark Henry yeah. at that time. That was Mark Henry at his best. That was yeah. Uh, wow, well, with, with the exception of a sexual chocolate. <laughs> I was going to say that salmon pink suit speech. Christian being able to take what is ultimately probably quite heartbreaking for him at the start because they are ultimately wrestlers like all of us are marks and we're all belt marks as well. We claim we're not, but we are. Would it have been as good a storyline if Christian had had a defense against fucking Wade Barrett on the third from last match on Over the Limits, and then another defense against Alberto Del Rio, maybe, and then lost it to Randy Orton? Or would it have been better for this story that he was the the star of? It's sad that you're describing Kofi's title reign, basically. I think Kofi's given more than that, especially with the Randy Orton feud, but the problem is the payoff that was ultimately so heartbreaking. Like That is the the great humility of Christian and the great versatility of him as a performer. And another thing as well, watching all those matches, here's one thing about Christian. He is one of the best kicker-outers in wrestling in how he can time a very... Like, Kurt Angle is one of the few people that's maybe even better. That so many times he has the fans on the hook for when they think he's won the match. And it's always moves that Randy Orton never wins a match with, but Christian is able to... Oh, yeah. His weird inverted um, Boston Crab thing that he only used in this feud against Christian. Yeah, yeah. And that was a great... Again, Christian was doing that in a position of... That was when he was the underdog and Randy Orton the overbearing physical superior. Again... The underdog babyface that he is in Over the Limit against the snivelling, cowardly heel that he is by the time of Money in the Bank and SummerSlam is such a wonderful transformation across it. On the SummerSlam point, that pre-match promo by Edge, that's a bit... Because, that, again, that's a point where... Well, it's... I love that. That was chickens coming home to roost. Yeah. That was Christian realising that 
and then the look of shock on his face and it's like, oh shit, I've got to fight Randy Orton, a guy who just beat me up last time. And the fact that he sacrificed his own body to get that world title that he won just by spitting in his face. And, you know. I, I feel there's an element in that promo of like, maybe like backstage them hammering home the point. It's like, you've had your fun with the belt, but, you know. No, I don't think that's fair. I think that's a perfect way of summarising the, the descent of Christian's character. And that, like I said, he always thought he was justified in it, but in that moment, and what I loved about that as well was Edge was saying, you're still my best friend. So it's almost like when he's out of the ring, he's he's still the Christian he is, but what's happened in the ring is what's poisoned him. And after that, again, Christian was always the good hand, and he always had that one more match mantra. And it was so wonderful that Randy Orton brought that back when they did the thing on Raw as well. And Randy Orton has basically said, Christian is my favourite ever opponent. It helps if the guy that you're going against always has great matches with you, that gets the crowd involved, doesn't actually require that much in the way of high spots or anything. Pretty much always just in the ring and you get to win every time you know there's a reason i think rob van damme loved working with jerry lynn as well he makes me look great and i get to win every time (laughs) sign me up you're my best friend (laughs) lovely stuff and like i said after that he was just always the rock solid hand but he never quite reached that height again but it's a hell of a great peak for his singles career i think if you look at the legacy of christian it is that you know, I think that, well, we'll talk about it when we get to Matt Rushmore. What does the Christian of 2021 do? What do you want the Christian of 2021 oh, to do? Oh, you took my question out. I've got about to ask you that. I, okay, let's split it into face and heel. Do you want him to do a heel run? Well, he's going to be face first, but heel Christian is just too good to not use if you get it right. It's just, it's weird because obviously we're in a crowdless era. I'd like to see him face Andrade. I don't think he's going to come back full-time. Like I said, he's 47. So I think you use him and you pick it. I mean, he didn't come out the Raw after, did he, and do anything? Not to I my knowledge. I don't think he's done anything since then. No. Whilst Carlito has. So maybe it was just a Rumble thing. Maybe he's never going to come back anyway. But what's what would be a shame about that is, A, he doesn't get to make the big comeback in front of the crowd, and B, his whole time in the ring is defined by him with Edge. Yeah, that's that's... Yeah. Again, he was a supporting player in someone else's story. And like I said, that's what makes the Randy Orton thing so wonderful. Randy Orton was kind of the supporting player in his story. The one more match story. Considering, obviously, what caused him to stop wrestling. I, I Mind you, with Daniel Bryan, that well, Daniel Bryan took an age to, to get proved uh, again, though. Uh, they'll be careful. Like, they'll use him when they need to. Also, he can say no. He can say no, yeah. He's in a position where he doesn't have to do anything. Yeah. They tell him he's do. here because he wants to be. He's not here because, like, financially he has to be. He seemed more content, it seemed to me. I think Edge has said that he didn't actually enjoy doing the podcast stuff or the show of awesomeness, which disappointed me a little bit. And again, what I loved about the show of awesomeness, you know, look, look if you're measuring it up against fucking the great sketch shows like Mr. Show or Limmy or something, it's not that. But as far as wrestling variety comedy shows go with a micro budget, it was a lot of fun. You have to remember Edge had Viking stuff to do as well. But it's probably the best WWE Network original content outside of whatever documentaries stuff they do. I have a soft spot for Unfiltered with Renee Young. They they pissed that opportunity away. Yeah, but that's just that's just chatting. Yeah, but she was so good at it. Yeah, That was something where they have to write segments. They have to feed them into each other. 
And again, that was another one where you just saw, like I said, that they're of that nerdy pop culture, but also wrestling nerds as well, that they do little trivia offs like we would have. And it's those guys doing it. They're playing like entrance games and, and all that kind of stuff. I love that. And again, it's one of the things that makes them feel so relatable. They were the first wrestling fans that I think we as wrestling fans could relate to. Mm. Oh, yeah. That so many of them are now. I mean, they mucked about with like ninja throwing stars growing up. If I yeah, if yeah. I had access to a ninja throwing star, I definitely would have done that. <laughs> they went to a WrestleMania as a fan. WrestleMania six. Yeah, yeah. Which obviously links into the Edge Hulk Hogan thing as well. So the the two things I think I would like to see Christian do then if he comes back on screen is I would like to see him have a nostalgia run for the tag titles with Edge, along the lines of what the New Age Outlaws did, but as a baby faces. And good. I don't think Edge is interested in that. I think Edge sees himself always as a singles guy. But I would like them to do it together, personally. And for it not to be Edge doing a favour, that it's them doing it with each other as partners. Because that was the thing, like, it was crazy. They they Just when they reunited them on screen properly as a team was just around the time Edge had to retire which was such a weird little coincidence unfortunately i'd love to see an edging christian versus new day match but i'd like biggie to be part of that because they're at the the kazoo bit where he'll new day like run into edging christian i can't remember the year uh, and he starts playing the kazoo and biggie just puts it in his mouth and like <laughs> sort of like uses it like a yeah, toothbrush but... yeah i get where you're coming from but i'm not the biggest fan of um heel new day i always prefer them as a face team i i think first heel run new day was great but every subsequent sort of heel turn that never quite stuck has never really worked for me they're merch printers now which is sad but heel new day was well if they could if you could turn them heel against anyone it probably would be edge and christian that's what i would like to see i would like to see edge and christian have a little run maybe go for the tag titles again because it's a great way it's a great way to keep them safe i wouldn't mind him trying to go after randy orton and now it's face christian against heel orton and it's like randy orton saying you couldn't beat me when you were in your physical prime how could you beat me now and christian feeling like he has to get that one clean as a sheet win over randy orton i could see that i could see that and that could make him feel like his career has gone full circle. Like, every time he beat Randy Orton, there was an asterisk next to it. Oh, I'll tell you what would be really good. I know we've probably had it. Oh, well, Big E's already said on Twitter, obviously, like, because uh, Christian, before he had to retire, won a number one contendership for Big E's Intercontinental title. And Big E is IC <laughs> champ at the minute. Uh, That'd be good. That, that, that's a nice little, like, as a, as a one shot, make uh, Christian could make Big E look good. Edge and Christian against Miz and Morrison could be some fun. Christian against Sami Zayn could be some fun. Christian against Cesaro could be some good fun as well. I tell you what probably will happen. If Edge chooses Roman Reigns, Christian's getting murked between now and WrestleMania by Roman <laughs> yes, Reigns. Yes, that is true. Yes, that is very true. There you go. When uh, Jimmy comes back, if you transfer Edge's feud from Roman Reigns, put him against the Usos and have Christian come in. Edge and Christian against heel Usos. Oh, I'm not mad at that. You'd get to tick that box. I was just looking at my notes to see if there's anything else that I wanted to point out that I missed. Oh, God, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that one in a minute. Um, but just these two notes I had. Just uh, Like I said, it's unfortunate that Edge and Christian got defined by the ladder matches because I think, 
I think if you'd have dropped them in the 80s, they would have done as well as the Midnight Express or the Brain Busters or anyone like that. I think they have those. Obviously, they became great wrestlers and a great tag team by watching those guys. But I think they could have worked in that world brilliantly. I think they'd have like done those, you know, those TV, ter- like the Territory TV promos you saw in studio. I could see like both Edge and Christian doing really well in those, that environment. But yeah, just this whole thing that he was always a solid hand. I remember like towards the end of his run, they put him in an Elimination Chamber match and got him up and had him pin Sheamus. And Sheamus has kind of been in that position ever since then of the upper mid card guy that you can put with anyone. And you can drop into secondary or main title matches and it would be convincing. I just remembered in my notes that he had this little mini thing with Goldberg that just ended with Goldberg giving him one of the greatest spears ever. And that was what they knew Christian could be good for. But at the same time, he was also the guy that Vince McMahon hated his face so much he wanted to put a blue dot on it. Oh, Christ. So again, it was that thing, like, just that shows you how he's always sort of condemned. Yeah. Okay, so here's my final things, my final points. He was, I think you can say, that he might have been the first guy that was the heel that was getting cheered instead of John Cena. Yes, yes. That's another hell of a thing to have been the first of. I think it became a real audible thing when it was the Kurt Angle feud, but that was the first time where Christian was saying... This guy sucks, and a large portion of the fan base agreeing with him. Yeah, he had a match with Batista as like I think it was called the Gold Rush Tournament around this time, uh, where the winner of that tournament would become number one contender. And obviously, again, this this reverts to the Power Slam interview I saw around the time that he left. He's like, yeah, I heard that reaction, and I know Batista heard that reaction because he told me that he did that. People wanted him to beat Batista in advance in this tournament. And Batista was hot back then. 2005 Batista. Ooh. <laughs> that was a good thing as well. One of the other things that I don't want to happen with this nostalgia run is I don't want him to be just there, to be honest, like they treated Kurt Angle, to just put over younger talents. One of the reasons being that that talent isn't that much younger than him at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I feel WWE's chickens are coming home to roost a little bit, and maybe that's one of the reasons that Christian is back. So here's my question for you as well, the final thing. Is Christian the greatest Marty Jannetty of all time? I have it written down slightly different in my notes, but I am looking for rose-tinted glasses. I would call Christian one of WWE's greatest missed opportunities of all time. I think he could have done it, maybe. I don't think he would have been some great box office WrestleMania headliner, really. I think he would have been as successful as Edge, maybe. Yeah. And Edge is great, but he's not. He was the antagonist to the protagonist. Edge never got to be the face of the company. He was the guy that was put against John Cena. But you need those. If Edge had had a terrible, terrible injury in 2001, and they thought, can we just put Christian in this place? I think they maybe could have done it. Even though Edge was bigger, I thought Edge could do the spectacle a bit more Mm. than Christian could, actually. Edge is the one that does the spears off the top of ladders. Edge is the one that does all the flippy moves with Rey Mysterio that Christian never really did. Christian could fly, but not really. He'd usually jump off the second rope and, 
I'm forcing half of those times into an RKO. That was another thing I forgot to mention about that feud. What was so wonderful was how things built up. What got hit with the RKO the first time. The next match he does it and it's a fake out. The best one of that being when they have the steel cage match whilst I was fast forwarding through it. He does the fake out. Randy Orton turns his back. And Christian immediately starts trying to climb the cage. Because yeah. he knows that Randy Orton's not looking. Again, just that brilliant thing. He was always one that used his mind. But I do think you can... I think he's the most successful lesser successful tag team partner of all time. More so than Marta Gennetti and Jim Neidart because those are the ones you always say, oh, the problem with this tag team is one guy's going to be the Marta Gennetti. Well, the thing with that was Gennetti and Jim Neidart both had self-destructive tendencies that were behind their failings oh, post-tag team boy. that had yeah. nothing to do with Vince not wanting to push them. Vince put the Intercontinental title on Marty Gennetti. He put the tag title on Marty Gennetti. He rehired him back in 2005, and he still kept screwing it up. And as for Jim Neidart, look at him. <laughs> and Jim Neidart, I mean... So, I think he's I think he's more successful than Matt Hardy in-ring. I think in-ring he's more successful than Matt Hardy. Ah, uh, yeah, but, okay, yeah. If you, if you said in-ring, yes. Overall... Hardy is more successful. I think I would put them like on overall cultural impact. I would put them at sort of level pegging because I don't think necessarily what Matt Hardy's influence has been is going to be perceived as a positive <laughs> overall. Well, well, but then again, and I know I'm reducing Christian a lot here uh, as part of obviously the ladder match crew. Is that positive? I mean, they're all still obviously, but the bumps they were taking. It's not their fault that the WWE decided. Oh, we can really batter these guys bodies for our amusement and just make it about the ladder tlc was about those six guys now money in the bank is about a ladder and a briefcase whereas those feuds those matches were about the dudley boys the hardy boys and edge and christian just like how they used to be about Shawn michaels yeah it was speed versus brawn versus cunning i remember they would complain on screen i remember they were after they lost the steel cage match to the hardy boys they booked them in a ladder match the next night on Raw. And they flat out said, I think, this should be on a pay-per-view. We shouldn't be doing this on Raw, but we're doing it on a pay-per-view. Okay. When they booked TLC3 two months after TLC2 for an episode of SmackDown where they all had to put over Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit, again they said, there's no way this should be on SmackDown, but here we are. And then he's in TLC4 where it's just take Bubba, Christian, and Jeff Hardy and give them a different tag team partner, and then they all lose to Kane, who wrestles on his own. Oh, yeah. I remember Christian, they were saying that when he dropped the Intercontinental title to Rob Van Damme in the ladder match, he literally was spending the day walking around with a neck brace, and then he had to go out and do a ladder match, and he did it. Unfortunately, his success put his body... In more jeopardy. But that's the people taking advantage of him. At that point, when they did the first ladder of the match, they were like, well, Shawn Michaels only had two of these that people remember. So we might only get one of these. So let's make the most of it. And then they find out, oh, no, you're going to have about 25 of them over the next 15 years. And we might, you know, when you go to TNA, you might do it and put over Frankie Kazarian. Oh, will you do anything with Frankie Kazarian after I do that? No, not really. Don't know why. Fucking buffered. <laughs> I was thinking about this. and I don't, I don't ever want to rank wrestlers. But I think if I did, I'm pretty confident Christian would be somewhere around the top 25 or 30. And he wouldn't be any... I think I'd almost be like with Edge, I think he'd be like 22 and 22A. And I think I'd probably, for personal nostalgic reasons, and maybe because I just feel more sympathy for the guy that doesn't get as much success. (laughs) (laughs) He says on a podcast. (laughs) Maybe that's why I maybe uh, uh, 
align myself more to Christian and <laughs> more emotionally invested in Christian than I do with Edge. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's get to Mount Rushmore. Let's do or it. do you have anything else you had to you had to add? Sorry. Uh, no, I think I've sort of like put them in basically. Okay. What are your four Mount Rushmore moments? I'm going to include an honourable mention because I had it down in my original list. Rewatched it. Wasn't quite Mount Rushmore worthy, but it's got personal meaning to me. Uh, and that's Rebellion 2001. I didn't have a lot of access to wrestling when I got back into it. I was mostly through Power Slam that I got properly, properly into wrestling. But one of the DVDs that was available for rental at the Neaton's Library was Rebellion 2001. And I watched that a fair few times. And it opens with Christian versus Edge inside a steel cage. I think I said, I think that's the last of the bar cage, you know, the old blue black bar cage matches. Great finish as well. I think they all were mesh cages after that. Well, I was saying, I think that scene is probably the best match of the Edge and Christian feud. Because it's so weird, isn't it, how often the tag team partners splitting up, they don't have quite the right chemistry to have a great singles match. They had some okay singles matches, which were sort of overwhelmed by the Invasion feud as well, which was... Theirs was like the first non-Invasion related feud, although then they had Christian turn to WCW because it was just like... Or the Alliance, because it was just like, well, we need it to be that way. So that's my honourable mention. My four, I tried to crowbar a TNA one in there because he did do it in TNA. I've gone for the King of the Mountain match at Slammiversary in 2007. He didn't win it, but it's very obvious that every time he's near the ladder, <laughs> it's everyone gets excited because it's Christian and a ladder. And it's a little sad, but it's also a little fun. I've gone for his match with Chris Jericho at WrestleMania 20. Again, it's one I watched a lot growing up. And I like how it's, it's weird because Jericho is a face, but he is sort of like... A, a slightly conceited face because of obviously how he's treated Trish and all of this. Well, he was calling himself the Ayatollah of rock and roller when he was a baby face. So he's always had a bit of an ego on him. Yeah. Uh, And I think Christian's performance in this match is really good. The finish I love as well. Especially her weird like avocado green like sort of crop top tracksuit-y thing. But never mind. And he got the snog... Trish Stratus for a while. That must have been quite good for him. Yeah, not bad going. I wrote down the... I pretty much put every moment of... Well, pretty every major moment of the uh, Orton feud in. I'm going to boil it down to the exact moment Christian spits in his face. And to last off, I think... Well, it's probably not going to be the definitive one, considering your feelings on the matter. TLC 2. <laughs> Give me anything memorable that Christian did in TLC2. Uh, he was in it. <laughs> was he the one that put the table across the two ladders? Or am I getting that wrong? That was at WrestleMania 2000, wasn't it? That's where him and Ed just sat on the table when they win it. But that was WrestleMania 2000. Oh, okay. This sort of bleed. This sort of bleeds into your point that they all blend in. But I love TLC2, and he was he was as much a part of that as. The rest, even if it all does blur. Okay, so you're going with TLC2? I am. Okay. So my two honourable mentions are him winning the NWA World Heavyweight Championship because that was him getting to be the top guy winning the world title of a major national promotion. It was the number two biggest promotion and he was the guy at that point. So that's my first honourable mention. My second honourable mention was the whole... Kurt's birthday celebration 
the debut of the kazoo. Scissors totally cuts paper, dude. Him calling Triple H game-licious. Game-licious. <laughs> and then afterwards, the, they do other entrance music. So let's do our fellow Canadian, Chris Benoit. He is Chris Benoit, and he's really mad. He is Chris Benoit, and he's really angry. <laughs> I also love that was the first time they kind of made fun of because that whole "You think you know me" was back from the days of Edge as the super mysterious loner. You know me, goth guy, but now he's the goofy surfer dude guy. So he's just going, "You think you know me? You think you know me? You think you know me?" <laughs> so my four ones, I will use my TNA pick as well, which was just his debut. At that moment, he was maybe the hottest free agent in wrestling. And what him going to TNA was a sign of, potentially. Yeah. That didn't quite happen, but this was one of the times when TNA was at its hottest and Christian moving, choosing to leave WWE for pastures new. To the point that Edge considered joining him there at one point, apparently. So that was my TNA one. My second one was his first tag team title win with Edge at WrestleMania 2000, where they sat perched on that table. And they had, like I said, they'd been in this tag team run for a year, and they'd yet to win the titles. I remember they'd had that tag team turmoil match at SummerSlam where they went through like four teams consecutively. And they, it seemed like they were almost never going to do it. And like I said, they were fighting desperately to stay on as a tag team. And they finally got to win the titles instead of Edge being pushed on his own. My next one is his promo on the entire SmackDown roster just before the roster lottery thing was going to happen. And like you say, that was him at his hottest when it seemed like he could be a world title. Like you said, he'd stolen the show with Batista. I'd forgotten about that. Maybe I should have gone with that instead of this one. But I just love, like I said, that Conor McGregor, Becky Lynch-esque he couldn't, you know, just chatting shit about someone. And he was so good at it. And he was in front of a Canadian crowd as well. So they were going ape shit for him there as well. At that moment, it was like, is this the next main eventer oh. in the WWE? And he didn't quite happen. But this was also at a time just when John Cena and Batista were getting the rocket strapped to them, to use a, a Christian term. I think he was destined to be lost in the shuffle at that time, unfortunately. So, at least he had that moment, anyway. And then him coming out to confront John Cena was wonderful. I remember being really excited, because he had that... Another thing Christian's had, he's had some badass entrance music as well, I think, over the years. Whether it's the mock opera of mm. Christian! Yeah! Or both versions of Close Your Eyes. Wh- I prefer the female one, the female vocal yeah, one. Yeah, I prefer Warproof Blonde. But I do think the other one was good as well. I do like that. Go! I like that. So, um, and finally, I've got him spitting in Randy Orton's face to win the World Heavyweight Championship. His greatest achievement that's nothing to do with Edge, that was all to do with his story and his performance in this thing, is based on him forcing Randy Orton to get himself disqualified in order to win the title. And that's the only way that he can get a win over Randy Orton. In a method that he can't even do at the minute. With everything that's going on. <laughs> yeah, as well. Sorry, we spoke about Carlito and bless him. That's like his, <laughs> his main weapon's gone at the minute. So, that has been Christian. I, I think he's someone that people will rediscover over time. 
It's kind of similar. I remember when um, Scott Keith started reviewing WWF shows from like 84 or 85. I think it was just when 24-7, WWE's 24-7 service was on. And he was like, fucking hell, Tito Santana was great. Like, you saw his mid-card strike force era, Tito Santana, that he's probably most mem- mem- remember for, and El Matador. But you look at him when he was one of those great, you know, first-generation, second-generation immigrant that was so popular in the New York Territory, and he was like, if he'd just been a few years later, he would have been, like, more respected. I think, well, I think the beauty with Christian is that there's going to be a lot more of his stuff available to go back on. I think he's just, at a time when people try desperately to be as wild as possible, just being rock solid and almost never being in anything that's crap, is a hell of an achievement in wrestling these days. Yeah. But anyway, if people want to get in touch with you, Simon, to discuss more about Christian or anything else to do with uh, great angles, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of letters in NWA. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, as in the end of Christian. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you put in at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lntyspod at gmail.com. lntyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. And if you feel like throwing a few coins our way, then by all means go on patreon.com slash lntyspod. And being a patron, even if it's just for a month, will help us a lot. And... If you are in the mood to throw something even easier our way, you can always throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. But next week, assuming there has not been another five-star match, you may finally, because (laughs) you've been very good, get to listen to us talk about a match that, to be fair, we disputed its existence... But much like the Flat Earthers, we've had to come around to the truth. The Flat Earth Society has members all around the globe. <laughs> if we haven't had another five-star match in between. But if not, then it will be match of the week and it will be Sting and Lex Luger against the Steiner Brothers at Super Brawl. But until then, my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great time. Until the next time. Actually, Edge wanted to come in here, and I would never just sneak into your office, Mr. McMahon. I mean, you, you know me. You like me. I would never do something like that. You like me. I, I wouldn't. I like you? Yeah. I've never liked you. Never. Don't you read the internet? You're a little turkey buzzard. I hate your guts. <laughs>